Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. So welcome everybody to another episode of the J2 Hub podcast. Uh, James is firmly back in the driving seat. So I've been told by a few people now, the comments have been like, James, so good to have you back. So good to have the podcast rolling back out again early in the morning. I'm loving them because I can get back in the gym and I've got something decent to listen to. I'm excited by today's podcast because it's something and someone and a software and some tech that I've wanted to kind of talk about for a while. There's people out there already doing what this chap and his company do, but I find the way these guys have done it is phenomenal. The interface is really good. It's it's just so easy to navigate around this. And sometimes when you're using pieces of software like the kind of one we're going to be talking about shortly, it, it's not very intuitive. You know, you, you're going to have to go to one place to do something. You go to another place to do something else. And when I've described this to our guest in the past, I've said, I would say if I'm comparing your software to the others, I would say it's like the Apple, the Apple of kind of searching for potential sites and searching for land. So without further ado, I'm joined today by Hugh Gibbs from Searchland. Hugh, thank you so much for joining me on the J2 Hub podcast this morning. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. No problems at all, mate. So like I was saying, um, you guys are a tech company, but before we go into talking more about your software and what it does, I want to know more about Hugh Gibbs and what you were doing before you started Searchland and before you guys went right deep into what you're doing at the moment. So tell me a bit about yourself. Yeah, that's always an interesting start for this. So my uh, career is a little bit of a checkered history. Uh, Most recently, I've come from a a position with the uh, planning policy team at a town council, uh, Tunbridge Wells Borough Council, and I was managing their maps, basically. Um, But before that, I started as a planner, graduate planner. It's pretty common for most people to sort of start in that position. You learn the ropes. What is planning? How does it work? How do you get housing through the system? Uh, And I very quickly realized that as I started that, um, I was a bit more interested in the data that was out there. How do you find planning applications? Well, I'm spending my time looking at council websites, uh, trying to pull this information together, get some listed building information in because I'm doing appraisals and I need to see if a site has development potential. I very quickly realized that actually I'm more interested in the sort of state of the data side than I was in the planning. So throughout this, I sort of stayed in planning, but then moved towards site finding. One of my roles as this graduate planner was to find land for developers. Um, so these are people building, you know, 10 units to 20, uh, or right up to I had one client who's building 150 units. And sort of we're really talking edge of settlement stuff there. Um, and so I was constantly looking for land as my job as a planner, but also learning about planning. Um, I then got fired from that position, or made redundant is probably the, the nicer way of saying it. I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, we just, um, the, the, it was an architecture practice. They decided they didn't really want a planning division. So they, they, they sort of let everyone go very slowly, which was a lot of fun. Um, I think I was the last to leave. Um, and then from there, I moved to being a site finder. And then from a site finder, where I ended up in my most recent position was working for the local government um, on the planning policy team, like I said. So my background is very much in a planning environment. I've always been around planners when I've been working, um, but it's always been about data. And it's always been about how people use data. And more often than not, 
the the sort of conversation around is why people aren't using it the best way possible. Um, and so, you know, around all that, the thing that did tie all of the data together, because I'm not a data scientist, like, you know, put me in front of an Excel sheet, I'll have a mild panic attack. Um, but the thing that got me and was the hook for me was using maps. It's called GIS, but essentially it's about putting data on maps. So anytime you've got a bit of data that's got a geography element, you can slap it on a map and suddenly everyone gets it. Um, so hopefully that is a bit of a sort of backwards and forwards uh, background to, to sort of where I come from. No, that's great, Hugh. I want to take you over to where you said you were searching for sites for people. So so how did that work? Were you working for a firm or were you – how did that work? I mean, what people coming up to you and say, hey, I need a site, um, or how, how was the whole yeah. process? Yeah, so the, the, the company I used to work for was an architectural practice called PRP. Um, and I in there, shout out to my old former director, Andy Black. Um, he had set up a land department. So we had clients because we, we do planning applications for developer clients. Um, and it's anything from residential applications to we were looking as well at um, redoing the shredded wheat factory uh, somewhere north of London, I can't remember where it is, but quite big mixed use applications. Now, one of the things we did was realize that look, if we find sites, if we find land, we can actually speak to the landowner. Uh, sort of set up a deal where we say this is who we are, these are the developers, but then we can also get the planning on it because that was the that's how we get the income. So we only want planning fees really. Um, and so my former director set up this department, and when I joined, my responsibility was to help with land finding. Uh, so yeah, we had developer clients, uh, mostly based in sort of London and the home counties. They would give us a bit of a spec list. Uh, okay, we want you know. Uh, 10 to 20 units that size plot sometimes it was backland um those were a bit more interesting because you really had to look at the the sort of shapes of the the land ownership um highlight good leads all off market and then send letters to them and try and bring them back um so we could run introductions because at the moment everything was being done on market um that you can make a lot more money if there's no agents involved and if you've gone direct to the vendor direct to the landowner so that was pretty much the approach so, Hugh, before you had stuff like Searchland and some of the – obviously, Searchland wasn't available then, but some of the other stuff like, you know, I'm not going to name the other software, but, you know, some of the other big names out there. How were you actually finding sites for your clients at the time? Yeah, so Searchland definitely didn't exist, uh, or at least not how it does today. Parts of what I used to use are definitely in it. Um, I had my own system called QGIS. Um Again, like I said, if anyone has ever heard of that on your listener base, credits to them. It's a very niche bit of software. Um, It's all about mapping data. So what I did was I built my own search land um, and I built my own site finding system. And what it is, is you bring in a base map, usually Google Satellite, doesn't need to be any fancier than that. Uh, You bring in land ownership. That is the crucial data set here because we're usually after single owned plots of land or plots of land that have a sort of shape or structure to them that stand out. Um, and so that comes from HMLR, so land registry. Um, and then we've got fantastic free data sets on constraints. So I'd be bringing in flood zones, green belts, A and B, um, SPA land, just um, special protection areas. I might have actually got that wrong. Um, and a few other heritage you have listed buildings in. And when you bring and piece those sites together, so you've got your ownership, your constraints, and then I'd also have a bit of price paid data uh, because often one of the things on the spec list for our clients was to be looking for land in areas that had 
So a minimum achievable uh, value of £320 per square foot. So when you piece all this information together, you end up having a really good site finding bit of kit because you can begin to look at plots of land from a very holistic view. So I had my own bit of software um, and I was looking for sites like this. Previously, when I joined, they were looking, my, my, my company was looking on um, a mixture of pro map where they'd buy an OS map and then look for land and then put a pin down. And if they liked the pin, they'd buy the site. And that mm-hmm. didn't make any sense to me. I didn't know about any of this this sort of data beforehand, but that's where I sort of fell down the rabbit hole. I was like, oh, cool, ownership data. Oh, cool, constraints data. Oh, look, all of this stuff here. And piece it together. And then from this one module that I had at UCL when I was doing my planning degree, we had to learn how to use this mapping software. And I hated it so much because it was so complicated. Um, but I realized that, Shit, it's the perfect thing for it. And that's how I sort of learned how to use this mapping software and where all this data was um, to find sites. That was how I did it. Am I right in saying, Hugh, all of this was just kind of APIs that were just coming all together? and, and uh, Not even APIs. I, I, back then, I wouldn't know how to use an API. Um, this is free data resources that are available. You download them, and they exist in things called shapefiles more often than not. A shapefile is just a spatial geographic file. Um I could connect to a P- an API now for sure, but back then when I was, you know, just figuring out what a CSV was, um, <laughs> no, it, I was not connecting to APIs. Right, right, okay. So I want to do a bit of a comparable before we start talking about your software. So, mm-hmm. say for example, mm-hmm. I'm a client now. I'm coming to you and I'm saying, Hugh, I want you to find me some sites. My um, my kind of go-to thing is garden sites. I love garden sites that are in the back of a plot somewhere that you can build on. There's an alleyway you can walk down and you can get planning permission to build something on there. Now, talk me through how you would have done that previously with your kind of made software for yourself. And then let's lead this nicely into how Searchland would now do that with some of the features you've got. Perfect. Yeah, excellent. So how I would have done that previously, and we have had a very similar thing. Uh, I was looking at Epson and Yule. First things first, I say, where do you want to look? I ask that all the time uh, because more often than not, someone has an area, and that just gives you a, a search radius, which is what we all need. Let's say I'm looking, I said to you, Hugh, I want to be looking at southwest and southeast London. Excellent, cool. So we start with those areas. That's easy. Um, I mean, that's nice, quite broad, but that's fine. Um, what I would then do is go straight to land ownership. Or pre- before even going to land ownership, I'd load up my constraints and I'd know where not to look. Because that is just as important as knowing where to look. If we're going back garden, the benefits of off-market means you never have to pick up constrained land because you can find out where the constraints are. So why would you ever touch sites that are in the flood zone, near listed buildings, unless they're really good sites? Um, so first things first, put, I would pull in all of my constraint layers. It's about 15 in total. And basically mask those off. I'm not touching any land in there. Um, and then that gives my focus to about 50% of the rest of it, which is in in the site. My attention then for something like backland is really looking at plot size and shape and access. You also mentioned access. Access is really important. Yeah, access, um, yeah. Personally, I haven't done too much site finding in London, but one of the benefits that I would, would absolutely say is, you know, car parking is not nearly the same issue it is outside of London. So you can get away with zero parking. So now your access can be, is there pedestrian access? Is there a back alley, like you were saying? Um, And so it's looking for plots that are good, um, where there's usually an extra garden, extra plot that's owned, maybe a disused structure on there. Um, 
you'll know it when you see it. You click on the site, you save it. And the goal might 100%, the goal always and still is today, this is the one thing that does carry true, is numbers. If you do an off-market, you want to get numbers. So if I was finding sites for a client, I would want to be looking at, you know, 50 to 100 sites. Wow. And then there's a bit more. Right? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the goal. If it's off market, because, you know, people talk about a 5 to 10% response rate. I think they're being very kind to themselves um, and, and maybe including um, negative responses, which is fair enough. If you get a response, that's a response. But um, if you find 100 sites off market, you have no guarantees that any of them are going to come through. So you want as many as you can. And then, you know, the ideal position is to be looking at five have five positive responses and have a choice. If you can only carry one site, you're getting the best of those five. If you can take all five, great. Do something else with them. Tell one of your friends. Um, so when I was doing the site finding, it was a very much an iterative process. I would find the sites that I think look good. Uh, mind you, I was a graduate planner back then, so my idea of what's good isn't what it is necessarily today. Uh, and then I'd go back to the client and say, would you take any of these? And they personally will kick off a few. And I was a big fan of a traffic light system then. doesn't need to be complicated. As many sites as you can in green. These are all the, the ones that have legs. There's some sort of angle on them. Anything in amber is, there's like a, something's wrong. Access is a bit weird. There's a bad planning history, uh, refusal nearby, something like that. And then red is no good. So don't touch them. So... From there, pass them on to the client, and then that's when it's sort of a fork in the road. Do they want some letters? Do they want us to do it? Uh, door knocking, that's something you see a lot less of post-COVID. Um, yeah, so that was pretty much the, the pre-search then approach. Uh, the caveat going forward to the next bit is I do not find sites, people. Um, <laughs> I have get a lot of requests for me to find land for the people. I don't, it's not something I have any time for. Um, these days, but how I would recommend doing it is a very similar approach because a lot of what I had in my old system have in the new system. Um, we want to turn on the constraints. Now, SearchStand does something which, um, which I was pretty excited that we were able to do is when you click on a plot of land, we will tell you what constraints are on that site. So previously I was saying, oh, turn on all of your constraints uh, and you need to have those 15 on. Well, actually those maps get pretty messy very quickly. But now what we do is if you click on a plot of land, if any constraint falls over that plot, even just slightly, we will list it when you click on that plot and say there's floods on it. And we can do one better as well. But we'll say if it's near a listed building, if it's within 50 meters, we'll say, oh, this site's within 50 meters of a listed building. So the idea is that you don't have to have these layers toggled on. You can just start clicking on sites that visually look very good, something to them. And you can tell when you've got your land ownership toggled on. Click on it. And then we'll also be able to tell you the planning history. So we go one tab over, boom, we've got planning, and we're good. Um, and so the idea is it's trying to bring all that information together. Oh, and that was the, the last step on my previous one, which I completely forgot about because I hate doing, was when I find my 100 sites, I would then have to take those 100 and look at the planning portals and see what the planning was because I wasn't pulling in planning information back then. Mm-hmm. And so the big the big kickers were has a planning gone planning application gone in for some sort of residential or some sort of thing that we're doing now. Now we bring that information in. It's great. One click, boom, we can see yeah, nine applications on this site. Oh, they're all for uh, windows and trees, not a problem. Um, things like that. So uh, it's a lot of the same process, but all in one spot, which is, you know, with any site finding tool, that's that's what people want to see. Wow. Well, wow. like I said in the introduction, I, I, I must say, when I compare your tool to other people, I have to 
the comparable for me is comparing it and saying, look, it's like the apple of land search because, and I guess that's probably a nice compliment to hear really, because yeah, what Apple, do, yeah, I mean, what Apple do is they make everything so simple and just something you said there, Hugh, about having all these layers switched on. And that was one of the, the most frustrating things for me when I was using a competitor's piece of software that all these layers were on. And before you know it, you're kind of just getting lost. And then they're asking you to kind of change certain layers to certain colors. So you don't get confused. And I'm thinking, no, no, this is not how something should be working. You guys should have thought about this. You guys are the guys that are putting this piece of software together. You shouldn't be asking me to go into preferences and change something because you haven't thought about it. So the fact that you say to me that I could go into your search, go into search land, look at a piece of land that I've driven past and think, you know what? I wonder if I could build something on that. Go back onto your software, find that site, click on it, and it's going to give me a whole list of stuff and say, James, stay away from this. It's a flood site. It's bloody blah. It's had 50 planning applications refused for what you want to build. And automatically, you've just disregarded it. It's a red X, and you know straight away you can put that on your red list. You're not even looking at it any further. Whereas I'm guessing with what you were doing previously, there was a lot more time involved to get to that end point of red Xing a, a particular site. Yeah, there was a lot more time. Um, and usually the goal was how many of these can I actually kick out? Because if I find a hundred sites, I know that the vast majority of them are no-goes. Um, I just need to find out what those constraints are. What are the problems? What's wrong with these sites? Why have they not already been built on? That's usually the question that's in my head. Um, and yeah, there was a much much more time-consuming process of getting that information. The the Apple thing's great. I love that. I'm really happy. I sort of I see exactly what you're talking about. Um, if you had been on the platform six months ago, you probably wouldn't have said the same thing. And one of the oh, I did. Had, I did see it six months ago, and it, you it, did. it's Excellent. just like okay, I said, cool. you've been, recently. Yeah, <laughs> so in March, I could get wrong. March, we had a really big update, and the driving force of that update was not myself, wasn't any of our developers, even though they built the thing. Uh, it was the customers. We got really good feedback, being like, "Oh, this is how we're using it. This is what we want to use it for." Um, and one of the things about Searchland that's really great and that I'm absolutely loving about the company is that three of the other co-founders, one of them you see sitting behind me now, um, they're all fantastic software developers. They've exited other companies. They've been CTOs. They've, they've been founders. Now they're at Searchland. Is when we get a bit of feedback, preferably from more than one customer about the same thing, we know we've got a problem. We know it's something we can fix. It may not be a bad problem, but we know it's something we can fix. And this is why I tell people Searchland is a tech company. We are a software development company, and we build software specifically for the within the real estate sector, um, the site-finding sort of focus. Uh, so we love hearing feedback, good and bad, preferably bad, um, because it means there's a problem. And if there's a problem, there's more often than not a software fix. Um which is how we keep keep building and how that how that huge update came around. We're not doing more updates like that, mind you. It's a lot to put the customer base through because it changes everything. Um, but when we collect enough and we can sort of make tweaks and fixes, now we're more at a sort of tightening the screws stage. Uh, but yeah, more, more to come. No, hats off to you guys. I think you've built a fantastic product, man. I'm a massive fan. And, you know, me and Ted have been massive supporters of it since day one. Yeah. And, you know, we always we always kind of wanted to work with somebody who had a kind of a land searching kind of software. But none of the other firms were ever very responsive, you know. And I just think that's where you've got 
a new way of thinking like kind of you know like fintech banking you've got all of these new cool ways of doing stuff whereas i think the old boys are soon going to get left behind because they're just not open to understanding and thinking how some of the younger people are working so i know we've we've been massive supporters of it and even moving forward we want to be massive supporters of it and actively push it to to communities to use because it is superb and you guys have done a great job. And I know I've kind of done this a little bit backwards where I've asked you about the software and how it compares. So I'm going to come back to a question I should have asked you earlier. Do you want to tell everybody what search land is you? <laughs> I haven't even, I haven't told everyone. I just assume I, I, I do this all the time. Uh, yes. For those who are just listening, you've joined at a very, uh, Good time. I'm about to tell you what Searchland is. Searchland is it's quite a few things. It's actually a different question to answer, um, which you'd think I would have done by now. Very simply, Searchland is a site sourcing software. It's an off-market site sourcing software, um, which means that you can pick up plots of land, buildings, things that are that you think you have development potential before agents get to it. So you can go straight to vendor, direct to vendor, I believe is the actual term that gets thrown around. Um, but it's so much more than just the way of sourcing sites. It's market analysis. You know, Market analysis can be what is the what the prices are being paid for certain types of housing in this area. It can be what types of planning applications are going in, what type of planning applications are being approved in this area. Um, and it's so it's this way of analyzing local areas. And then for some users, which we're really starting to build on now, is it's a way of exporting information. We are trying to say, yes, here it is. It's all in one place. But now we're trying to see ourselves as a database. And we're saying, look, so we've got architects on a platform who use us for um, exporting some of the OS data so they can have it in their sort of uh, their CAD readable formats for site location plans. And we're realizing, okay, cool. Well, there's actually a few things we can do here. We can export a lot of this and you can use it in your existing systems. Um, and so we're looking at maybe linking to a CRM down the line in a little bit. Um, anyway, that's a bit ahead of ourselves of what we actually are. But in short, we're a site sourcing platform, and it's all about market analysis um, and, and yeah, bringing in leads. That's what we like to see for our, our developers, our flippers, our um, people who are in the industry. Uh, that's what we do. Hugh, how would you say you compared to somebody like Nimbus, Nimbus Maps? Uh, yeah, so first of all, what I do want to say is because we've got we've got very intimate competition with Nimbus and, and say Land Insight is that those two are the first movers. They always own that status. Um, they started in about 2015. For Nimbus directly, how we compare, um, we we draw our information from the same place, basically. You know, you can only get planning applications from one place, provided that they are actually going out and collecting their own planning applications. Land ownership only comes from one provider that is hmlr land registry um our emphasis is around searching it's in the name search land it's around moving around the map toggling things on looking for data we allow you to search our planning application data as if you were a data scientist and you just want to find keywords trends approval rates things like that so how we differ from not just Nimbus, but everyone else, is that we have much stronger emphasis in searching and much stronger emphasis on linking data. And how we link data is with land registry, land ownership. Land ownership is that sort of silver, that, that golden thread that links everything together. You can click on a plot of land, know it's planning history, sales history, constraints, purchase the register, 
um, know who owns the site. And I'm not seeing other platforms do this. I'm not seeing other platforms connect everything in the same way um, and then have that sort of added search element on it. So that's how we're doing it a little differently. Um, yeah. do you, Hugh, do you think it's a bit of a, a blockbuster and a Netflix scenario going on? <laughs> to uh, put you on the spot. <laughs> that is putting me on the spot. That's putting me on the spot. I assume, I assume I'm not blockbuster. <laughs> no. Um, do I think it's a blockbuster Netflix? No, I don't. In a word, uh, I think I think choice is good, and blockbuster didn't really provide choice. It provided uh, weird return fees, and you know the idea that you can only get uh, something for a short period of time was a flawed business concept. In ten years' time, there will be a Nimbus, there'll be a Searchland, there'll be a Land Insight, and there will be others. Um, I think it's going to be a scenario where it's more choice. Um, but also, actually, we will see some people drop off for sure. Um, you know, the more competitive this gets, it drives the price down. We're already probably one of the cheapest on the market. So we're very well positioned. If it is a number, uh, if it is a, uh, so a bit of a Freudian slip there, if it's a blockbuster Netflix scenario, I would want to be Netflix. I will do everything I can to make sure that we are Netflix. I love Netflix. So, I think that's the direction we'd want to take it in. But I do think it's going to be a scenario where the customer has choice in what type of provider they want, what type of company they would want to get their sites sourcing platform from, because we're all very different uh, internally. No, good answer, mate. Good answer. So, Hugh, tell me, if somebody is out there thinking about giving this a go, how does it work with you guys? How how do they get started? What are the different packages, the price points? Um yeah, how, how do they connect? Yeah, how does it work? Um, well, if you haven't heard from us already, which is very likely, we are a new company. Um, so what I should have said at the beginning is that we we really launched at the beginning of this year and then took off in, when I, we did our big update. Um, if anyone wants to find us, we find, it's online. So we go for searchland.co.uk. Uh, and from there, you can get your free trial. Now, the free trial is only seven days. There is a very good reason for that because no one can find sites in seven days and no one can get a good sense of how the software works in seven days but we want you to book a demo with us say us i want you to book a demo with me because i want to meet the customers that we've got coming on here um because everyone's using this very differently i want to be able to give you pointers find out where things are um you know really find out what you want to be using the platform for and how search can help uh and sometimes um the users can be better off on different platforms and you can give them a bit of nudge. Maybe not the Nimbus or, or other competitors, but things like property data, which is great. Um, so there can be that, but that's a very, very rare scenario. Um, in terms of how we're priced very competitively is the is the answer to that. We have baked in the sale in effect. So we're, we're sort of, we've got two license options. One is called an unlimited license. And what that means is you can click on as many title plots as you like, land ownership plots. Uh, to your heart's content, you can click them to your eyes, but you don't have to think about them. That runs at £170 per month or £1,800 per year. So there's about a 20% saving if you go for an annual license. The other license type, and this is where we're having a lot of success and a lot of interest, uh, especially people who want to start trying out things like search stand, you know, maybe they've got a day job in IT and they're doing something else and they want to get into property, is we've got a lookup limited license. Um, and what that means is that process of clicking on the title and finding out the information about it. We just tell you how many of those you can have in a month and you buy a package. So it starts currently 
at 100 lookups per month, and that's £35 per month. That really is a lot of people who are just sort of dipping their toes into it, seeing if it's the right sort of platform for them. And there is no real upper limit because um, you can have as many lookups as you want. And what we're finding is that we've got two types of user on there. One, which I mentioned at the beginning, people who are just sort of dipping their toes in the water. And then others are large teams because you can have as many users as you want on that platform. We are due to change that structure soon. Though. So it's a bit of an awkward question to answer um, because the unlimited works really well. Uh, and we just need to figure out how to make that uh, look, limited lookup package work a little better. Again, sort of tightening the screws. That's one of the new things about working with startups is we're always trying to figure out pricing, how to just get it right. But in principle, we're trying to drop the price as much as possible. Um, so that mm-hmm. core concept mm-hmm. will stay, even if we do go to revising the pricing over the next month or so. Do you know what I think ultimately what the users have got to remember is it's, it's just going to take one site, one successful site, and this software will be paying for itself for years to come, you know, I'm thinking about our most recent site that we completed kind of 18 months ago. And you look at the figures and you think, you know, I got lucky finding that site because that site was kind of handed to me and I took a punt on it, but I could see that there was planning potential there. But if you've paid, say, like you said, £1,800 for the year and it's taking you 10 months, realistically, it's not going to take you 10 months to find a site, I would say, you know, you should hopefully be able to do it a lot quicker if you can hit so many more numbers. It's almost as if it's a it's a no brainer, really, isn't it? The, the the fee that you're charging is nominal compared to what you could get out on the back end of this. Yeah, and that's that is the that's the catch with all of these is you're you're dealing in property. You know, no one gets into property just to make scrape a living. Um, when you do make work, when it takes off, you take off very very well. Um, and what we see, so I, I don't, I don't push our users either direction whether they want to go for a sort of slightly cheaper one or a more expensive one. But what I see from my end is that the people who have unlimited licenses, they save more sites, they get more sort of letters out the door from conversations, um, and they will be looking at more sites. But they've they've taken the decision to get a platform. They don't want to think about use; they just want to have it as a tool. And those are the guys who are using it as a sort of fundamental tool to how they actually find sites. It's always in their back pocket. They know they can always use it. They want any time a site comes through, it's used, search land is usually the first thing you would look at um, when you're doing any due diligence at the beginning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Hugh, I know you guys have never been about the hard push or the hard sales push, you know, so it seems like it's quite a cool environment over there where there doesn't seem to be huge sales targets that you're looking to meet because I've never really seen you kind of really pushing a sell. But what I want to do is I want to do a little role play with you. I want to come to you and pretend I am a potential client and I want you to sell me this software uh, in the best okay. way. With Sell me it based sell on me, the features. Sell me this pen. <laughs> Yeah, sell me this pen. Yeah, but sell me this software based on what I say to you, and then also let me let the you let the listeners know about the D2V letter thing that we were talking about earlier because I think this fits in perfectly. All right, cool. That's so, my that's my kicker. You just you just ruined my best my best weapon. Uh, <laughs> all right, so here, let me give me give me what you got, James the Hotel. How, so how can I help you? So here I am here. So what it is is that you know I've I've been in, I've been in property for a while. I've always done HMOs. I've had deals bought to me, but what I'm finding is recently I can't find many HMOs anymore because most of the London boroughs are becoming Article Four, and I want to try and move further afield. I don't want to move too for too much further afield. So I'm thinking, how can I find boroughs that are maybe not Article Four, and also 
is there a way maybe your software can help me to find, say, old retired landlords or even rogue landlords that have been running dodgy HMOs for a while? Uh, they might have some kind of um, order against them where they haven't been running it successfully and they've been given a kind of a whipping by the local council to either, set, to either kind of get this up to speed or possibly even look to kind of just completely shut it down. How can your software help an old dinosaur HMO investor like me find potential new sites? Because obviously with the law, the way it is, I can't just buy a house now and do a six, seven bed conversion. And there you go. I've got a cash flowing asset. I need to know how I can get a little bit more clever with this stuff. Hit me with it. Cool. So sounds like you're looking for new avenues to explore. Uh, new, new ways of diversifying that portfolio out of, as you say, the old tired HMO. Mind you, even if you, there are Article 4 areas and you're finding it more competitive, you can still get a full planning application in, but obviously it's not really the angle everyone wants to go down. What I would suggest is taking what you know to be true about flipping HMOs and that you like, and you know that that template works, and going further afield. The great thing about what you've been doing, you know, that worked previously, if it worked there, it likely works in another area. And it could just be that it's too competitive because you're based in London. London, you? yeah. And you do most of your site finding in London, in the home county. I do. I do, yeah. yeah. There's more of a personal interest question at that point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, is you can take that same HMO approach and apply it elsewhere. Now, if you're a bit unfamiliar with other areas, that's fine. That's what search stands for. It's about being methodical in your approach to finding sites. Um, and one of the ways that I like to do it is with that off-marking, off-market site funding approach. So really looking at what existing HMOs are around there. And the way that we currently recommend our users do that is, uh, is using the planning applications as your litmus test. This is what a lot of people aren't able to do currently and what I think you would like. Uh, mm -hmm. This isn't how I would do this pitch ever. This is sort of an in-between of me talking over your points and, and linking it. So <laughs> is uh, one thing I really like pushing users to do is using planning applications as a litmus test. Uh, and what I mean by that is on the platform, you can turn on the planning applications tool, load all the planning applications for England that we have. I think we're about nearly at 90% of the, the country and build a bit of an HMO filter. And so what we're going to be looking for is any proposal that has keywords that contain HMO, multiple occupancy, um, housing in, things like that. Um, and look at the HMOs that are being submitted. And then what we do is we go... Hopefully at this point, if I was actually pitching, I'd have my, my map up and I would be talking you through it. We toggle over to the graph view and we can see in a given borough council um, what the approval rating is for that type of application. Now, if we stick with the HMO route, so you want to die on that sword and that's what you want to be selling and flipping uh, until you're gray and old and out of this business, then we can just change the search area to different councils. And every time we do that with our HMO filter, it will tell us the approval rating of that council. You can take that a step further and say, oh, I only ever want to work in Hounslow. Great. We'll look at Hounslow and then we'll draw areas. And we'll do that same thing. And every time we set a search area, we're really using what I call a cookie cutter. We're saying, just show me the data inside of here. And in a sense, all we're doing is looking for an area that's sort of above 75% approval rating. If you go for a national or you look for a national average, find out what the average is if it's 75%, which it usually is. 
look for areas that are higher. We know that councils are probably leaning towards. Maybe look at the last few years, how the council been, because year on year, the council will look at these applications differently. And then from there, you've got your, you know that the waters are warm. And you know that it's something you think, okay, the council's not anti-HMOs in this area. Um, we can do a few other things, which is looking at land ownership, looking at the HMO layer that we've got on there, finding out where these HMOs are, because often you want to co-locate, but not too much because you've got saturation points. Um, and then really what we'd be doing on that side of things is clicking on plots that stand out. You know, are these buildings, have they had previous applications submitted for any kind of conversion? Are they used as family housing? Are they good transport, close to transport networks? Things like that. And probably butchering this process a bit, but the, the end goal, whatever the, the process is for actually finding those sites, the end goal is to be filling your pipeline and saving your sites uh, constantly. Constantly save sites. Anything that's good, bad, save it. Because if it's bad, you can say it's a no-go and you can have it marked as something you've done. If it's good, great, you've got potential. Uh, that's the HMO stuff. Otherwise, you know, a platform like SearchSand means you can actually expand and diversify that and you can look for your background developments. Uh, you can look at applications that have been successful. What did they do well? What can I do? Uh, again, look for those keywords, backland, side extension, um, things like that. Okay, how do I copy and paste what they did on these new sites? That's the searching side. So you've got the searching, you've got the saving. The kicker, the one that really is what I'm hoping will tie search them together and, and really make us stand out, is the D to V letter sending that we spoke about briefly. Um, is now you've done your process, you've looked, you found three councils that you know or areas, settlements, whatever it is you know you want to uh, find sites in. You've gone to that second stage, you've saved your 100 sites. Of those, you've kicked out 50 because uh, 50 are no good. Mind you, this is all in a morning's work. Um, you know, it's about to get to 12 o'clock. Uh, the next step is to send letters. They, you can have as many safe sites as you'd like. They're not going to convert them to leads on their own. And so what we're building right now, and this is why it's so great to have a tech team in-house, is a D to V letter sending tool. And all you have to do is have your safe sites, upload a template letter, which is usually an introductory letter. Hi, I'm James Sohota. Um, I want to buy your site. Um, and upload a logo, fill it out with a bit more exciting text than that, because you probably won't get a very high conversion rate if that's all you're saying. And hit send. And we will send to all of those sites that you have saved. Now, you will have to purchase land registry records in this first draft, but that's where we get the land ownership info from. Or what we can do is send to the, the address that you're finding and want to go that way. Not everyone wants to go down the, the land registry ownership record approach. Um, and so the idea is that in a couple clicks, you can have 50 letters out the door. Um, and that, in a nutshell, that was a bit of a weird presentation. So thanks for asking me to do that. But all I'm trying to get at here is find a strategy that works or a new strategy, experiment, save lots of sites because it's a numbers game, and then send letters. And what you will see is that you have your own conversion rate. You will never have left the platform and that you will in a month's time or six weeks, whatever it is, probably way longer the way that some people are, you will have meetings booked with a handful of these people or phone calls. But you've got some form of contact from these people saying, oh, we're not interested at the moment, but six months we're considering. Or it's glad you, uh, you sent this letter. It's very fortuitous because I'm just going through a messy divorce. You never know what time you're going to get that person out. 
that's why partly it's a numbers game. But when you do hit that, you do get your response and then you do get that meeting. And then it's up to you to do what you do best, which is uh, putting the site together, acquiring it, building a team, flipping it, selling it, whatever it is. Most of the people's jobs who use this platform, their job is not to look for sites. It's to actually do something with those sites. So we can then enable you to do what your business is supposed to do, which is build them out, flip them and sell them. Wow. Wow, mate. I am, I am, I don't know what to say. It's not often I'm lost for words, but you've just got the excitement back in James. Cause like I said to you at the beginning of this conversation, I am finding it difficult to find sites at the moment and speaking to you for the last five minutes here, when you've just done that role play, I know exactly why I'm finding it difficult because that pipeline isn't full and I'm not doing what you just highlighted. I should be doing. So mate, that was, that was amazing. I just want to ask you quickly, Hugh, the D2V letters you mentioned. So for starters, I don't know why somebody wouldn't pay the three pound fee because you're just a complete tight ass if you wouldn't do that, especially with what you get off the back of it, getting the correct details to send the letter to rather than just having an address. Yeah. Secondly, how does how does the whole system... So are you telling me that somebody could... I'm guessing you upload a template, it populates the bits, and do you actually... Does your system actually post it out to the person? Or- yeah, we, we, we don't personally do the posting. Um, we're, we've got a great partnership with a company that does all the posting. We had all our letters sent to us, first class, second class, with all the extras last week. Very impressive. Came over the next day or two. Um, so what we do is we package up the letters. We get them to a PDF-ready format, a bit like if you were going to run a mail merge. We sort of do the mail merge on mm-hmm. our end. And then we send those off to our, as a digital format, not if it's post. Uh, we send those off to the, the provider who does the same day printing. Printing, posting, out the door. Um, and it's, it's, you know, within that week, it's, it's at your prospect's address. Um, the, the effort on our end has gone into connecting. We have to connect a lot of the sort of data in the systems. Um, so you know, building a PDF maker that you can actually make your own introductory letter. Um, we're looking to have a site plan as an option um, that might not be available in the first first draft, but uh, the fact that you can send a letter with a red line plan of a site, more, more oh, yeah. appropriate for yeah. land, but still it, it's a nice visual and it does separate yourself out from the herd a bit who are just sending letters. Um, and the great thing is, folks, if you do buy the land registry records, you get the name of the owner. You know, it's not dear sir, madam. I perfectly, under- I definitely get why people don't buy them. Um, but my my where I lean towards this sort of this, this side of should you buy them, shouldn't you, is if you've done a bit of due diligence as to whether you like the site or not, and you're confident that there's something exciting about that site, buy the record, uh, and then you know you've got a good you know you've got a good lead and that you haven't let yourself down because you've picked up maybe the wrong address or the wrong owner. Mm. Uh, or that letter is just getting thrown away because it says dear server. That being said, it's it's different. We don't we don't make money on the land registry records. In fact, if anything, we lose money on those because it's the it's the land registry HMLR three pounds fee that everyone comes across. Uh, no, that's good. That's a, that's a, a feature I'm looking forward to. Hugh, how far is it away? Um, I've been telling people a week, but I should start saying two weeks. Um, I'm going to be playing with it in a week because I don't code, so I can't use it on the back end. 
I will then have it available. I'll be sending letters. If you send me your address, maybe I'll send you a few of my intro letters. Um, <laughs> but yeah, then in one day, two weeks, we're hoping it'll be available or the, the week after next. So, you know, it will be there. Uh, and what the, the really cool thing is, what I'm hoping we can do is make sure that anyone who gets a new account, we comp them with a certain number of free letters that they can send. Um, mm-hmm. Because that means that when you do buy a license with us, you know you've got a couple rounds in the chamber and every month you can send something out, even if you haven't had a particularly active month and it's free, it's part of the package. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so the way, I was, the way I see this is you can either be a lazy developer and just kind of reach out to agents or people that can offer you sites with planning, or you could do some kind of homework and some background work and actually find sites where you could lock in some serious profit at the beginning of even starting a construction because obviously when I've bought sites with planning in the past, obviously you are paying a huge premium for that site, mm. but you know you can start your build, the planning's there, the conditions have all been discharged and you go in day one, start doing what you need to do. Whereas if you actually spent six months doing some of the things you're talking about uh, in this podcast, you could lock in a huge amount of profit to start it before you've even begun, which means you're walking into a build super, super confident, knowing that, hold on, you know, I'm ma- I've made money. I've made money. This could go <laughs> over budget, 20 grand, 30 grand, 40 grand, because I've already locked in my profit at securing the site and putting the planning on the site. That That's what that's what I'm seeing as a comparable here when you're talking. Yeah, and you're right. You're right. I will correct you. I, don't, I, won't, I wouldn't say it's lazy developers. I say it's the tried and tested method. It's the old school method. And what, what I see in a lot of successful uh, companies is that they will have a split approach. They'll do both. The tried and tested method on market is a lot quicker. The risk is lower, but you do get your return uh, if you do a bit of due diligence. But if you also have an off-market strategy, um, which is slower, uh, the risk is slightly higher, you definitely need due diligence, which is why a tool like SearchStand helps with that. And it's a much longer play. It's usually sort of you went for sponsors, you still got to put a planning application in, maybe you want to go for a pre-app, but the rewards are much higher. And so I'm seeing people with, say, like a 20, 30% split on their time. They'll do 20, 30% split. They're doing off-market. They're on search land. They're looking for sites, saving them. I can see because they're filling up their, their pipeline. And then they're still getting letters in from their network, from their people that call them up and say, you bought properties off in the past. You're a good contact. Here's a new couple of leads. Um, but it's that dual approach that I think is really starting to help people get familiar with the off-market site finding because uh, there are no guarantees. Folks, that's the that's the hard and fast truth of it. You can find as many sites as you like. You might get no responses. But when you do get a response and it's positive and they do want to meet with you and they like what you're about, the gains are much higher. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, totally, mate, totally. Some great stuff there. You, if, um, if somebody wants to kind of take a trial on this software, is it just a matter of going up onto your website, registering and doing what they need to do? Yeah, go through the normal way. Um, I should have thought about this beforehand. James, I can set you up with uh, uh, a way of, if you do want to reach out to your own network and post much more conveniently um, and have yep. links to the platform. And, you know, then I know that you've come from here and I can have a chat with you and we can sort of bitch about you behind your back. Um, <laughs> because, again, I still want people to sign up, but I also want people to book a demo with me. Um, you know, and it's that's when I get the most enjoyment out of this. It's like I said, I'm not finding sites anymore, but I do want to hear how people are using it, and I do want to give pointers in the platform. So, 
Um, yeah, either visit, you know, certsign.co.uk. We've got the free trial. Sign up and I will, I will message you if you want. So be aware. I will be, I will be dropping you an email. Um, or I will sort of, James, I can send you something that you might be able to send around. Yeah, what I'll do is I'll put I'll put a special link in the show notes, um, uh, and then people can click on that and come through to you. But Hugh, it's evident you guys are so passionate about what you do, mate. You know, every time we've spoken, um, every time you talk about the software, you know, you talk about things that are happening, and even when me and Ted talk, and he talks about, you know, I gave him, the, I, I suggested this, and it was done, and you know, I'm just loving this piece of software. There is a real serious sense of passion that comes across in what you guys do this this, for me i feel this isn't about the money for you guys it's more so about the vision and the passion of putting out a product that is yeah i I get cool i get frustrated very easily i am i get and usually pissed off at the way other people do things um and you know i was mentioning at the beginning yeah it's you were saying that i'm not very good sales but i'm not push it down people's throats i never will i don't ever want to be in that position but what I do want to do and what I want CertSign to be is a way of people accessing data and planning applications like I used to, like I how I sort of taught myself with this QJS platform. Um, if anyone wants a glimpse at sort of my pathway to here, download QGIS and try and upload some data. I will happily post a, a sort of challenge for you to do. Um, but when you have control of data like you can on CertSign, you can suddenly just start to do what you're supposed to do, which is, you know, actually speaking to landowners and getting sites over. Um, the team, so I'm speaking for myself here, but the, the team that we've got, um, the thing that gets them out of bed and sort of excited is the building of building software, building things that work, things that don't exist. And so what we're trying to bake into our business is that really responsive feedback, you know, Tej does suggest things. Sometimes he suggests things and I'm like, man, it's not ever going to happen. No one's ever going to use that. <laughs> uh, other times it's like, oh, keyboard shortcuts for an OS map. Wicked. Um, we haven't done that. Sorry, Tej, if you're listening, but we are planning on doing it. Um, but the great thing is when we do that, I can turn around quite literally and uh, say, oh, this is the idea. And then I can get very positive feedback as to whether it's possible or not. And then we put it on the pipeline and we, uh, we build it. I mean, that's the most satisfying thing. So this letter sending thing that we've got coming is the biggest push we've had since we did the update in March. When we've finished that, it's to the drawing board, what we're building next. And what we think it's going to be, um, which I can't confirm, is a plot finder. Um, so it will take a lot of the legwork out for you. But to be well, confirmed, I've, I've, I've got one for you, Hugh, live, live and direct on the podcast. Up, I just up. thought about it. I thought about <laughs> it a couple of days ago, actually. So recently, I've been having a lot of these uh, Matterport... Uh, studio photography is done of every single property that I own purely so that when I put it up to rental, people can walk right through the property. Do you think at some point there may be some kind of feature on your software where already like say if somebody's had a Matterport drawing done of a particular building, there might be some kind of link that goes in where you could click on a site and then there's a Matterport drawing available of that property and they can actually physically walk around it. So Matterport is, am I right in thinking it's those weird cameras, 360 cameras? It's the weird camera that does the whole of an inside of a property and you can literally walk Uh, from the front door all the way around the property. You can look around it and it's as if you're actually VR type in there. Great idea. I can see why you'd think about that. Uh, I'm probably going to pull the plug on it pretty quickly and say it's just not going to work because there's not enough 
info out there. Um, yeah. If there was a, no, if there was a catalog of of pictures of of these sorts of things, then absolutely. Um, but then we get into this awkward crossover where Searchland is all about a very scalable business, and we've got national data sets and uh, you know whole council councils covered and things like that. To oh, we've got these ten properties that have in that particular area. Um, it's much more likely that it's going to be a sort of I say next year feature of Searchland where we can then actually say, okay, no, now we've been in, we've been doing this for a year. We've got a really good network, and Searchland is the very first point of anyone's site finding tool. Well, what happens at the end? And at the end, you're st- you're starting to need consultants and you're starting to need outsourcers. And so we could have someone who's a photographer and they do drone photography, max poor internal pictures, things like that, and say, here's local context in your area, um, uh, surveys, things like that. And really start to branch from, okay, you've got your site, now what do you need? Haven't put any more thought into it than that, but that's how something like that would ever fit in. So if you did want a math report of a site that you are considering, then you sort of, uh, maybe you can send someone down, maybe you don't know what the rates are on that, but that's probably as close as, unfortunately, we could get to it. Uh, unless you can tell me that there is a, a website available that has all of this as a, a digital catalogue. That's unlicensed. No, it'd be, it'd, it'd be great if it did. It'd be great if it did, but no, nothing. Yeah, maybe that's the, next, that's the next business idea. Nah, that's great stuff, Hugh. Um, something you probably don't know, or you might already know, me and Tej are starting our very own networking event in London. It's going to be twice a month, and it is going to be in a swanky location where loads of property people get together. Um, and we have just kind of automatically put you on our hit list of people we would like there to do a full-on demo of the software. So, you know, you're hearing it here first. We should have really told you about it prior, but we just thought, you know what, he's a cool dude. I'm on the spot. How could I possibly say no? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, we were hoping to, obviously, once all this uh, extra additional lockdown restrictions are lifted, is to get you down at one of these events and actually physically get you to do something on a big screen and show people what this amazing piece of of software does. Cool. Yeah, uh, I'd be all for that. I mean, get me out of the office. I've I've had one real life meeting and three hundred Zoom calls, so yeah, uh, I need to change that ratio a little bit. <laughs> Hugh, it's been fantastic, mate. It's been really, really good speaking to you, mate. Loads and loads of uh, things buzzing around my own head, and I'm sure when this goes out, all those guys that have been struggling to find bits or have been working in such an old-fashioned way, I'm sure they're going to be reaching out to you. And when I do put that special link there, it'd be nice to know how many people have come through from the podcast and um, how many have signed up. But Hugh, lastly, if somebody wants to connect with you kind of or connect with the company, say, just to follow what you're doing, are you on the socials? Are you doing the social scene or you kind of... I'm weak on socials. Um, Please don't follow me on Instagram because you'll be very disappointed. But hit me up on YouTube. Um, I think I'm Hugh Canning on there. No, I'm Hugh Gibbs. I'm Hugh Gibbs at Searchland. Uh, If you can't find that, then I'm doing something wrong. But yeah, that's my personal LinkedIn. I try and post there. I'm pretty weak. Um, But as we start to roll out with all this stuff, I can then put more attention on on letting people know how we're doing, keeping keeping the socials up to date. But yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Um, I don't think I've got anything else. No, it's LinkedIn. That's the way my life's heading. LinkedIn. There we go. Who would (laughs) have thought? Um, James, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Um, I've enjoyed this thoroughly and uh, I'm sure we'll be in touch.
Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for joining us again on the JTL podcast, mate. And I will put every, all your contact details in the show note and that link so people can kind of reach out and uh, and give this superb software a go for themselves. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.